Wow, beautiful music this morning. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Sarah, for that special. Thank you so much for leading us to contemplate the Lord our God through song, which is the way believers have done it from the very beginning. The covenant people of God have come together and sung His praises, worshipped Him in that way. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace. Thank you so much for uh, attending this morning. Mike Shreves was in the hospital last week. He's back today. Thanks for that. Uh, Colby is home. Colby Elmore is home. So many different things as Chris Pope mentioned going on in our body uh, and uh, just all sorts of things, not just physical uh, in nature that we are struggling with these days. In fact, um, you know, I'd like to say it's great to live in the United States of America, but it's not so much the United States of America these days, is it? I mean, we are a divided nation, regardless of who would have won the presidential election this past week. A good number of votes were cast against one candidate rather than for a particular candidate. As an American, I'm just disappointed before and after, not just after, but before and after. I'm disappointed with our inability to disagree agreeably. I know that our system is set up for us to indeed disagree. But we can't seem to find any way forward. How are we going to sit down and talk about things? I don't use the word disappointed lightly. I always think, who am I to be disappointed? I'm troubled that there seems to be no constructive conversation going on and no way forward in a deeply divided nation. But then, of course, I lived through the 60s. So I'm fully aware that eventually the rhetoric and the passion will subside and we will be a changed people. Change for the good in some ways and change for the bad in some ways. As troubling as the current national climate is, I'm not nearly as concerned about the divide in the country as I am about the divide within the church. It's an easy thing to confuse and conflate the kingdom of this world with the kingdom of God. On social media this week, I saw everything from cries that anyone who voted for Trump is now the cause of all racism and hatred in the world to God is still on the throne. He did a wonderful thing in the election. I mean, it's all over the map. Once again, believers are deeply divided. I can assure you, God never left the throne. He didn't look away for a second. God is sovereign. And I would say the exact same thing if it had gone the other way. It doesn't matter. He's, his ways are not our ways. It is equally important to acknowledge that believers are responsible for their thoughts and actions. But believers are not going to agree about everything. Some of you are Duke fans. What, how, do we, how do we explain that? Well, you're a Carolina fan, so uh, yeah. Uh, by the way, congratulations to the volleyball team, many of whom are here. I know there are others, but uh, yes, they did a great there at... Going forward into the tournament as the number four seed. Uh, this morning's text calls us to focus on the importance of unity in the church. Why? For the advance of the gospel. 
Don't misunderstand that to mean that God needs the church to be unified in order for the gospel to advance. The gospel is going forward no matter what. In fact, our text talks about how the gospel advanced in spite of unity in the church. But after so acknowledging, the text then calls for believers to stand shoulder to shoulder as the gospel advances. And it reminds believers that their opponents are not other church members. As I pointed out last week, a a series of topical messages like the one that we are currently engaged in on engaging the world for the gospel, uh, with the gospel, will not, it's not going to dig into biblical text at the same level and as thoroughly as we normally do here on Sunday morning. Uh, But topical messages allow us, though, to cover a lot more ground and to think about things in a little different direction while remaining faithful to the truth of the text. Uh, That's the case with our text today, Philippians 1, verses 12 to 30. For a bit of context, Paul was writing from jail in Rome. It wasn't A prison like we think about prison. It wasn't a prison like he would end up in eventually. This was the first of Paul's two imprisonments. The second one was awful. This one, he was under house arrest. But it's not like you and I consider, again, house arrest. He um, was continuously changed to a member of the elite imperial guard of Rome. Soldiers who, by the way, traveled quite a bit. They, were, they had been all over the world fighting the, in the, uh, fighting the wars of the Roman Empire. And, and the elite troops were assigned to the Praetorian Guard or the Imperial Guard. So it's kind of funny. Paul was a prisoner, but the soldiers were the captive audience. I mean, you'll hear a little bit more about that in the text as we go. Paul's letter to the Philippian church was essentially a thank you letter for their participation in his ministry of the gospel. He considered the Philippians to be partners. They supported him and he said, look, together the gospel, we are seeing the gospel go forward under the Lord's direction. There were no glaring doctrinal issues in the book of Philippians. Sometimes you read these books that Paul wrote or these letters that Paul wrote and they're like, wow, boy, they they really had messed up here or there. But there is phenomenal doctrine in the book of Philippians. I'm going to mention my first wife, Linda, who was sick many years ago when we went through the book of Philippians. And and one of the reasons that I chose Philippians was I thought, you know, it's a little bit of a lighter book. And if I need to step out of the pulpit and other people need to step in, it maybe wouldn't be. There is profound doctrine in the book of Philippians. I mean profound But he wasn't correcting any errors. He was just saying, this is what we know about our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a a beautiful, wonderful thing. So, um, Paul was essentially writing a thank you letter. Uh, There were unity issues, though, in the church. Two women in particular were having trouble getting along and Paul was saying please 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 get along over and over he came back to this theme you need to be united for the sake of the gospel brothers and sisters and with that let's get to the text Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 through 30 because it's a long text I'm going to ask you to remain seated for a good bit of this reading because I want you to just focus on what's being said then I'll ask you to stand 
at the very end. Philippians 1 verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I'm in here for a reason. It's not breaking and entering. I'm here because of the gospel, because of my love for Jesus. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Some of the most remarkable verses you'll read in the New Testament. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. We're all in this together. As it is that my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all shamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul was on trial for his life. He was waiting to be tried before Caesar. And then he says that that famous verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart And be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And now if you would please stand as we... Read the remainder of our text. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Are you treating those who don't agree exactly with you politically? Are you treating them in a manner that is worthy of Christ being prominent in your life? Don't think about what they're doing to you. What are you doing to them? What are you saying about them? Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent. I may hear of you. That you are standing firm in one spirit. With one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. But of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you. That for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him. But also suffer for his sake. 
engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. In other words, I'm in prison. You may be in prison. We have been called to suffer as followers of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Well, Lord, this is a very sobering and convicting text, as well as an incredibly encouraging. It's all wrapped up. That's just the way your word is. Speak to our hearts. Make us more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Three points from today's passage are going to be quite obvious as we work our through the text, beginning with the gospel advances in the strangest ways. You know, not many people question who the dominant figure of the first century was in the spread of the gospel. Jesus had had, um, given Peter the keys to the kingdom. Every time the gospel came to a new group, Peter was the one preaching. At Pentecost... In the Samaritans, it was actually Philip preaching, but Peter and John had to come up and lay hands on them and give their blessing to the people in Samaria. And then in in Caesarea, Cornelius, the, the, the Roman centurion, was given a vision and Peter was given a vision and, and, and Cornelius was told, go get Peter. Peter came over and the gospel went to the Gentiles. So Peter had been given the keys of the kingdom. But it was Paul who tramped all over the Middle East and all over Asia or Eurasia, Europe, giving the gospel, sharing the gospel. He had three missionary journeys that we know of and this book Philippians is written after all three of those journeys he's in Rome in prison and think about Paul the key figure in the spread of the gospel being in jail he was as we've already mentioned waiting to appear before Caesar where he would be on trial for his life so what was up with that what was going to happen to the spread of the gospel now was it going to continue was it at stake There were probably a lot of believers who were fairly upset with Paul. I mean, he had been warned repeatedly not to go to Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 20, a prophet named Agabus came and said, here's what's going to happen in Jerusalem for the one who goes. He's going to be bound and he's going to be tried. And Paul said, look, the Spirit compels me to go. Agabus was led by the Holy Spirit to warn Paul Everybody sort of reads that as a warning. Don't go. The Spirit of God is telling me to tell you, you shouldn't go. At the very least, he's saying, this is what's going to happen to you. And it feels a lot like you shouldn't go. Paul's saying, the Spirit compels me to go. Sometimes the Spirit is not so easy to discern, is it? Could be, which was right. I mean, it could be that they both were right. And the Lord's ways are just bigger than our ways. Or maybe... Indeed, he was saying, I'm not saying you shouldn't go. I'm just telling you what's waiting for you when you go. And Paul said, that's okay. I'm on my way. What we do know, what we do know for sure is that God is sovereign. And even when you think the world is falling apart, God will use your unlikely circumstances to advance the gospel. I mean, think about Paul's situation. He was under house arrest, but instead of having an ankle bracelet, 
that, that alerted the authorities when he was leaving the premises, he was chained to one of these members of the Praetorian Guard 24-7. 24-7. And they would come in four-hour shifts. So in a 24-hour period, Paul was chained to a different guard six times. What do you think they talked about? I mean, you think Paul asked him about the weather and the political scuttlebutt of the day? I imagine he did. But he also preached the gospel and threw out the 9,000 elite troops, many of whom would go to the far corners of the empire. All heard about this brilliant thinker, the equal of Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, who was a devout follower of a simple carpenter slash preacher on the far outskirts of the eastern part of the kingdom who had been crucified. And this Paul, this He's a devout follower of Christ. The gospel spreads in the strangest ways. Some of Paul's brothers and sisters were emboldened to share Christ and to share the gospel because of his unwavering faithfulness to Jesus as he faced the prospect of execution because of his commitment to The spread of the gospel. Other believers, though, were probably frustrated that Paul had just had to. You had to go to Jerusalem, didn't you? You had to get yourself arrested. And you know what? We tried to warn you. And guess what? God is judging you. That's pretty apparent. And he's blessing me. I'm out here preaching the gospel. And so they would preach out of spite. And probably telling everybody else. Look, well, we see who was right about that one. Thank goodness that spirit never prevails today. It's important to note that Paul didn't accuse his detractors of preaching a false gospel. This is really... This stuff discerns between marrow and bone. I mean, it... it, it, He didn't accuse his detractors of preaching a false gospel. He didn't tell people to to get them to stop or to to move away from them. Instead, he said, hey, look, if that's what it takes for you to boldly preach the gospel, I'm okay with that. I'm fine with it. So, So do you feel the same way? It is so easy for us to think that we're the only ones doing it right, isn't it? I mean, clearly there are groups who believe the finer points of theology differently than we do. But they proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that your only hope of salvation is in repentance of your sin and acknowledgement that Jesus died on the cross for you. They preach the same thing we do. But then they do other things differently than we do. Rejoice, Paul would say. Rejoice that the gospel is being preached. That may be a good principle to follow concerning those who voted differently than you did. Rejoice that they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And that we all (coughs) proclaim the gospel in our own context. I suppose the thing that struck me the most, and I know it's not this 
brilliant observation. It's, it's just you can't help but see it. But as in my preparation for this message, it's just Paul's heart for the gospel. He just wanted the gospel to go forth under any circumstance. In prison, no big deal. In fact, the whole imperial guard has heard, and, and we assume that many have believed. When I compare Paul's heart for Jesus and, and for the spread of the gospel with my, increase, my own increasing commitment to the security of my family, my personal security, I'm deeply convicted. My first thought is often, how is this going to impact my family? Not, how is this going to advance the gospel? So what is your number one priority in life? Is it health? Financial security? A family that stays close, at least emotionally, if not in the same area? Advancement in your company? Personal safety? The glory of God and the advance of the gospel. Don't you wish it were just that easy to say this is what I need to be about? The glory of God and the advance of the gospel. The reason it was easy for Paul was that he had fully embraced the truth of our next point. Either way, either way, it's Jesus. When someone is sick... Believers rightly exercise their privilege to pray for healing. And some will say, you know, I pray for God's healing, but if he chooses not to heal this person in the way that we're asking, we know that something even better awaits for the, for the believer. Heaven awaits the believer. When my wife Linda was sick, someone said, well, look, I want to be on the bus going to heaven. I just don't want to be on it right now. Amen? I said, well, look, my wife really doesn't have a choice. She's got to be on one bus or the other. I'm glad she's on the right bus. If you have to be on one bus or the other, make sure you're on the right bus. We're all going to die. Most of us think, yes, please, but just don't talk about that right now. I get it. Not only have I lived it, I feel the same way right now. <clears throat> we walked with the wells as, as, as they lost Ricky. And it was excruciating. It's painful to walk with someone where a loved one is going to be lost. But you know what about the Wells family? They don't grieve as one who has no hope. They know where he is. And as painful as it is in the funeral this afternoon at 2 o'clock. They know where he is. The Apostle Paul lived his life as one ready to meet Jesus. And we're called to do likewise. Knowing that either way, whether we live or die, Jesus is at the center of everything we do. He is for the believer who is committed to him. I'd love to have the same perspective that Paul did, saying, hey, death is a promotion. Don't threaten me with heaven. You know, if you want to threaten me. Of course, Paul didn't have a, a wife and a family that he was leaving behind, but a lot of people who did die in the first century did. 
a lot of people who were martyred because of their commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ left behind a family and a family that had no safety net whatsoever. We talk about a safety net. No, they had none except for the church taking care of them because that's what we're called to do, to love each other and care for one another at that level. Maybe we wouldn't be so divided as a church about the political issues if we depended on one another for survival. But guess who who helps us survive now? The government. So we just have our different ideas about the government. But we're called to live as though our lives depend on one another. You ever meditate on Paul's claim in verse 21, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain? Do that for just a moment. Just think about that for a moment. Paul had a genuine desire to see Jesus. He lived his life in such a way that he would not be ashamed when he stood before the Lord. He would not be ashamed when he was called upon to take his stand in front of Caesar. And given an opportunity to deny Jesus. He said, I don't want to be ashamed. Give me that strength, Lord, to stand for you. It's impressive That whether through living or dying, Paul was all about Jesus. It's even more impressive though, when he had that desire to depart and to be with the Lord, that he was willing to live and to give his life to others. Why did he want to live? Look, the, the usual. Family. Business, he wants to get his business to a place where, you know, he can leave a legacy. He wanted to travel and visit places that he'd never seen before. I mean, he wanted to see the day when the Roman Empire no longer oppressed the people under its command. Just let me live that long. Not happening, folks. It's never going to happen. We're going to be struggling with each other for the rest until Jesus Christ is, is ruling this world. It's never going to be as it ought to be in the world. Paul's saying it ought to be a different way in the church. He thought it would be best for him to stay so that he could help those who had believed the gospel in ways that would benefit their progress and joy in the faith. Look, that's why we're making such a big deal about this book, Core Christianity, today. That we showed earlier. And men, be here, 8 o'clock college, whoever, if you are a man, be at men's ministry Sunday, uh, fr- Saturday morning. I'll get it sooner or later. If I, there are seven opportunities. I got seven chances to get this right. Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Look, this book will increase your progress and joy in the faith. I mean, I hope everybody in the church reads this book. Truly, it's better to be read in groups. There are a couple of groups already meeting. A couple of three women, three men that are meeting and talking about the truth in this book. But Saturday mornings, the men are going to be doing it. So be here. Paul said, I, I want to go and die. And he, I want to die and be with Jesus. And he didn't say, oddly enough, I want to stay here. 
so that I can continue to advance the gospel. He said, I want to stay here so that I can help you guys be stronger. And that way the gospel advances. Let me ask you a question. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? It's been a while since we've done this. Occasionally in the home groups we'll say, take time and one by one, everybody else identify what a particular person's spiritual gift is. You don't say, this is my spiritual gift, I think. I mean, you can do that if you want. But other people say, I think Scooter Oliver's gift is this or that. And so many times it's like Scooter says, really? You think that? You think I have the gift of encouragement? And it's an encouragement to him. Look, the big question, though, is not what is your spiritual gift? Why did God give the spiritual gifts? So that we might serve others. It's nothing about ourselves. Paul's like, man, honestly, I've been beaten up. I've been cursed, called the most awful things. I would love to just see Jesus. I believe believe with everything in me that I'm going to see Jesus. But you know what? If God wants me to stay here to help the body of Christ, then that's what I want to do. When the body of Christ thrives, the gospel advances. As our last point will contend. Shoulder to shoulder for the gospel. I'm going to guess that there are people here this morning that did not vote the way that you voted. You may have been frustrated before the election with those who hold different political views than you do, and you may be furious with them now. Don't you know that Satan is delighted whenever he can drive a wedge between us that's not related to the gospel? I mean, in our current national climate, both sides are deeply frightened over the policies and perceived animus of the other side. But our cause... Church, our cause is not political. It's the advance of the gospel. You're not trying to advance a political agenda, but the gospel. It's not the first time the church has been here. I heard this recently. I don't know. I heard J.D. Greer say it, or I read J.D. Greer say this, and maybe I said it a few weeks ago. Look, don't you imagine around the campfires with Jesus and his disciples as they traveled around Palestine, there were some pretty interesting political discussions at night. I mean, here's Simon the Zealot who, before meeting Jesus, had been utterly committed to the overthrow of the Roman government. He represented the conservative party of Jesus' disciples. And on the liberal side, you've got Matthew, the text collector. He was all about big government, especially big government as it helps me. You know, I'll charge, I'll have to pay this to Rome, but I can charge you a lot more. I imagine the debates at times got rather heated. They were intense, but they put aside their political differences for the sake of the gospel. They had to so very much was at stake, and both of those men died as martyrs for Jesus. Taking the gospel to those who didn't know. Sooner or later, brothers and sisters, sooner or later, this great nation will take its place in the history books along with the Roman Empire and all the others. As once a great Empire, but no longer that big of a deal. 
I, I surely hope it's, it's later rather than sooner. And I hope we do a lot of good between now and then. But the kingdom of this world is ever-changing. It takes many faces. It can never last because it's led by sinful human beings. The kingdom of God is stable and will never fail. If you follow Jesus, the believer who voted differently from you is your brother and sister. And for the sake of the gospel, let it go. Let it go. If your side won, don't you dare gloat. This isn't about politics. And don't live down to the accusations of the other side. If your side lost, trust the Lord and do not dare live down to the expectations of the other side. Don't become the caricature. Either way, don't allow yourself to be exactly who the other side said you would be. We must love one another. I'm not the one calling us to unity, though, for the sake of the gospel. Look again at our text, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, With one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation. And that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ. That you should not only believe in him. But also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. You recall at the first uh, of, of this text that we read this morning where Paul said that there were those who, pre- who preached the gospel out of envy. There were those who hoped to add to my affliction, my emotional pain, by preaching the gospel out of envy. He did not call them opponents. Those were not his opponents. When he said, you've got opponents... We have opponents. It was those who didn't believe the gospel and wanted to stop the spread of the gospel at any cost. There are those who oppose Jesus and oppose the gospel. Look, I I grew up a, a very fearful person. And it's easy for me to still be that way. It's easy for me not to embrace The implications of this command to show no fear in the face of persecution. But if and when that day comes when I have to stand before Rome, I'll be like Paul. There was at least a a sense of that in Paul's heart when he said, I just pray for the courage that I'll I'll not be ashamed when I'm called to stand at the cost of my life for Jesus. Whether it's serious persecution or not, persecution will come to the believer. It's our calling. But obviously, even persecution of the church does not automatically unite believers. If that were the case, Paul's detractors would not have gloated over their freedom while Paul languished under the continuous watchful eye of the Roman Empire. Unity in the church was bought for us at the cross. In Jesus 
all racial, socioeconomic uh, barriers, ethnic. There are no barriers between us. Don't you dare let barriers come between you and someone else because of any of these differences. Anytime you feel superior, the, the chance is that you're the one who's primarily in the wrong. But you know what? It goes both ways. I know when I feel inferior, I just bow up and want to tear down the other person. Oh, you're this, you're that. We're just human. But Jesus makes us more than fallen human. He gives us the opportunity to live as the way God designed this world to be. Unity. In the body of Christ is not guaranteed. We are all required by scripture. To work at it. All of us. Both political sides. All ages. So very much is at stake. And if Jesus were to come next week. Let us be found shoulder to shoulder. Working for the advance of the gospel. That's his calling on our lives. Let's pray. Lord, your word calls us to unity. The unity that is ours in Jesus. There's so much more at stake than my feelings, my comfort. The justification of my philosophical thoughts about the way the world should go. God, our angst in this time, this entire year, our angst indicates that we don't trust you in the way that we should, in the ways that we should. And Lord, I, I know that as fallen men and women, we long for affirmation of others. We long for affirmation of our own ways being right. You've called us to focus our hearts on Jesus. I pray that you would give us hearts to love one another and to find common ground in the cross and to move forward shoulder to shoulder as you advance your gospel the gates of hell will not prevail may we be found as those worthy of the name that we wear in Jesus name